I have to begin by saying that Simon Peter had good intentions. He really did. He wasn't trying to tell the God of this world that created everything what to do. He was trying to help. Sometimes we do that. We forget that God has a direction and a selection of situations that are so perfect, yet so unusual. We don't fully understand those. And we want to tell God what to do. Yet we're not in a situation to do that any more than Simon Peter is. He'd been with our Lord for three years. He knew more about Him than most people. Yet he could not fully understand what was going on. He's sort of like the, the man that I've heard that everyone would say he was in the paving business. And, they, and I said, paving business? They said, well, actually, he owns a grocery store. But they said, you've heard the expression, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. They said, he has good intentions. But most everything he says is wrong. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll fall into that category of life we will find that our good intentions always seem to go against the grain of what God is trying to do. It's, it's just a desire to want to help. But sometimes in helping, we forget that our Lord has planted within us a Holy Spirit that guides us. And because of that, we must follow Him. I entitled this sermon, Missing the Mark, because that's the exact definition of sin. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. But the word sin there means literally from the Greek means missing the mark. As if you were an archer aiming at a bullseye and you fired a shot and you missed it. It means your intent was to do right, but you didn't quite do it. You missed the mark. And that's such a wonderful picture of what sin really is. People think that sin is, is wickedness and horrible things that you do and selfishness. and Those are part of it, but also attempting to do something with good intentions and missing the mark is also a sin. Back in the 2004 Olympics, Matt Emmons was competing in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. He was headed toward winning the gold, and he had one last shot. You probably remember this when it happened. He took position to fire, to fire the final shot. He was so certain of it, and when he fired, he hit literally on the edge of the bullseye. And he was so excited, but when he hit the target, nobody applauded. And the reason is, he was in lane two, and he hit the target in lane three. Not only did he not get an 8.1, which he expected to get, he got a zero. He fell into eighth place. He hit the wrong target. And many times we do that. We have good intentions, but we fall short of that. And God expects us to be more focused than that. Now, I want to remind you that not all intentions are good and, and very well thought out, and, and sometimes sin is, is more abrasive than you can imagine. A, a lot of failure has resulted from bad decisions and limited information or just a desire to want to win and not really do what is right. 
and we do that all the time. Sometimes people are, are motivated by sordid gain, and they go after something. I've seen some of the most brilliant people in America do some of the most horrible things. And when it was all said and done, we discovered that it was all about themselves and not about what is good or right. In our scripture today, Simon Peter has some hopeful intentions. And he wants to do the right thing because in his mind, Jesus is supposed to be the next emperor, the the final emperor, the one that sets everything straight, the one that, that, that brings in his disciples to be his cabinet, so to speak, and his advisors. And to make everything right in the world. The only problem is, number one, that wasn't God's plan to begin with. And number two, the Roman Empire did not constitute the entire world. Let's look at the takeaways from this because I think that's more important than anything. This is a powerful story that we can learn from. And as they're moving up to the Passion Week and we see all these horrible things happen, many times people do ridiculous things when they're called upon to simply stand and believe. I think the first takeaway is this. God's will is not performed through man's efforts. As much as we want to do that, God's will sometimes is performed through our weakness. We think it's our strength and our ability that's going to do what needs to be done. But sometimes God will use us to perform His will. Other times we interfere with God's will. Simon Peter wanted to be a part of God's will. He wanted to serve God obediently. He wanted to to follow Him in every sort of way, but somehow along the road, he was distracted. He took the words of Jesus and put them alongside and mixed them with the words of the disciples. He got confused about where he was going. It's important sometimes for a wise person not to speak but to listen. Simon Peter was not being a wise person. He didn't listen to Jesus, number one, but he also didn't ignore the words of the disciples. Because sometimes they were more wrong than Simon Peter. Be careful who you listen to and who you trust. Because sometimes when you get half the information you make a very flawed decision in life. And we have to be careful about that in our lives. Because there are many voices speaking to us. Many people shouting out at us, trying to tell us what we should believe and what we should think. When I was a young boy, the voice that I listened to besides my parents was the voice of a man on the radio named Paul Harvey. Any of y'all grow up listening to Paul Harvey? 8.30 in the morning, 12.15, this is in Atlanta, 12.15, and then my favorite was 5 o'clock in the evening because what was that? It was totally different than the others. That was the rest of the story. And I have every book that was ever written about Paul Harvey and his radio program. I gained a lot of understanding about life early in life from Paul Harvey. But sad but true, Paul Harvey died one day, and Paul Jr. did not succeed him like I thought he would. There's another man that came along just before I married, and I began to listen to him. And as you know, Rush Limbaugh died the other day. He succumbed to the cancer that he had been struggling with. 
He was more political than Paul Harvey, but yet he had a lot of euphemisms and axioms that were really powerful. And I'm learning that what I was listening to in both those people was simply the wisdom of God distilled down to truth. We have to be careful who we listen to because there are a lot of voices giving us different opinions. I noticed early on about this time last year that the different cable stations all had different opinions about the coronavirus. COVID was different to each one of them. Then I began to read the National Institute of Health, the CDC, and what was written out of some of the major medical publications, and they were all different. And I realized that I had to stand back and not make a decision about any of that. I had to just listen. In the midst of that, I made some decisions, and one of them was, it is better to worship God than men. Peter, James, and uh, uh, John said that confronted by the Sanhedrin when they were told to stop what they were doing after Jesus had left, but they said it's better to worship God than man, and so they continued. I didn't want to endanger anybody's life, but I wanted everyone to be able to come in and worship that wanted to safely, and we did. I thank you because many of you, John and Judy, I don't think you all hardly missed a Sunday because like you said, John, you were coming here before you decided to come. You were brought here by your family. Uh, worship is more important to me than anything because the older I get, the more I realize that my relationship with God is more significant than any relationship I will have. It makes me what I am and, and who I will be. And I'm glad that you're here today because we've gotten to a situation where now we know more than we knew a year ago. We're able to take the, the shots and you're safe. But continue to practice safe decisions because we don't want anyone to be sick. God's will is not performed by man. God loves to literally demonstrate His power. Uh, what is that expression you use, Dr. Chittam? God likes to show up and show out. That's so true. And many times we interfere with that. Many times we step in the way of that. Some people think that because a child runs in front of a parade that he's leading the parade. No, that's not true. We can pretend to be leading what God is doing, but the Holy Spirit, as we are told, is like the wind. It blows where it chooses to blow. Is not guided by mankind. Therefore, we need to understand, as it says in verse 32, Jesus says he spoke plainly about this to indicate he was direct and to the point. Sometimes Jesus used parables. And a parable is a, is a way to explain a complicated issue in a simple way so everyone will understand it. You see, we didn't understand for a long time as children that Aesop's fables were really written to help children understand complicated ethical and moral issues. And they worked. Of course, I can't, uh, I can't mention anything about the modern day fables like Dr. Seuss because they're not allowed. 
but I will always be thankful to the cat in the hat. I will always be thankful to several of the children's writers that made a difference that never intended to do anything but help children to grow up. Perfect love, as I said several weeks ago, casteth out fear. And I am not fearful of a generation that is afraid of everything because they'll live their lives hidden away. We're called to be people not of the darkness but of the light and therefore we're not going to worry about the things that they worried about. The second takeaway for me is this. Christians cannot predict God's pathways. We just can't do it. We want to sometimes. We want to say what God is doing. But, but really, it's impossible to do. Isaiah made it very plainly in these succinct words. He said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As higher the heavens are from the earth, are my ways from your ways. So what he was saying, I love you, but quit trying to guess what I'm doing. And yet, 18 out of 20 Christian stations have somebody that knows exactly when the Lord is going to return. And they will sell you a tape for $24.95 about it. Let me, let me say this again, and I've said it before, and I believe this with all my heart. It's not about knowing when the Lord is returning. It's about what you're doing when He returns. Are you working in His field serving Him or are you distracted by things of this world, such as predicting when he's coming back? The reality is we need to be people who are obedient to God in every way. Simon Peter wasn't having any part of what was going on. He rebuked our Lord. He thought, surely he's confused or he's sad or something's wrong. I want to explain to you, though, when he rebuked, Simon Peter. He was not saying that Simon Peter was Satan. He was not saying that at all. The rebuke shows us that Peter was very upset and harsh. I mean, he, he didn't just simply say, Lord, that's not true. He got very angry. Because in his mind, he knew what was going to happen. I've learned a couple of things since I've lived here in the Black Belt. I came here 11 years ago, about a week or so past. And I've learned this. Don't ever, ever try to predict what the weather's going to be like in Selma for 12 hours. You don't know. I told Miss Sarah back there this morning, I said, the reality is, Tuesday I got up and I thought, boy, it's cold. And I put on, you know, several layers of clothes. And through the day I was like an onion peeling off layers of clothes. But by 4 o'clock it was August. That's just the way it is. You can't predict what's going to happen here. The weatherman can't predict. Somehow the black belt is different than everywhere else. It can rain here when it's not raining anywhere else in the state. And our ability to predict the weather here is as foolish as Peter trying to tell the Lord what to do. When, when the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan, what he was referring to was that, that, that Satan was prompting Simon Peter to do this indirectly. Because what was Satan's number one goal at that time? To interfere with Jesus reaching the cross and dying for us. And then being placed in a tomb and then being raised again. If Satan could have stopped that, he would have stopped everything. In fact, when you, when you get to the garden where Jesus is praying and all the disciples are falling asleep, let me mention this to you too. You may not 
fully understand this. They were not falling asleep because they were bored with our Lord. They were falling asleep because satanic influences were touching them. Satan wanted them to sleep. And yet, Jesus was setting his face like a flint toward the cross. This was something he had to do. The disciples didn't understand that. How do you die in order to live? They did not have an understanding of the Old Testament as some of the prophets did. That someone had to pay the price. God couldn't simply wave his hand and say, Oh, you can all come to heaven. God's holy and he's perfect. And he's not afraid of sin. Sinners are afraid of him. If we were to step into the presence of God without the covering of Jesus' blood over us, we would not simply hurt or burn or just die. We would cease to exist. Jesus made this very plain when he said, Fear not he that can kill the body, but he that can kill the body and the spirit. You see, we can't simply step into heaven. God is holy, and His law is true and right. And because of that law, someone had to die to pay for the sins of the world. And that someone, if Jesus had lived just a good life, He could have only purchased His own way to heaven if He were a sinner. But He had to live a perfect life to pay for the sins of every person that would ever live. And as I've I've told you many times before, Jesus didn't die for the elect. If he had died just for the elect, that would have been a population that would have been much smaller. Those who choose to accept Jesus' gift of salvation. No, Jesus didn't die for that. He died for the sins of the world. His death was not just about killing the sin nature in mankind. It was about killing sin, the sin nature in creation. To restore creation. Because Jesus will, and it's very plain, John heard it on the Isle of Patmos when he was given the vision of things to come. Jesus said, behold, I make all things new again. Now stop and think about that. How do you make all things new again? Remember when you bought that new car that you dreamt about and saved for? And you got it and you, you washed it so much that, that you just wanted it to stay clean. And then one day, that piece of gravel came off of that ugly old tractor trailer in front of you and made a hole in your windshield, that crack that seemed to grow. Or maybe a child spilled a drink in the car and it made a stain. Maybe it was someone that backed into something and suddenly it wasn't new anymore. You know that feeling. When you look at furniture and you think, well, you know, that used to look better, but apparently the sun's just simply taken all the color out of this. We had a situation here at the church not so long ago. Gene Pearson, our artist in residence, as I like to call you, she's done many beautiful pictures of this church, but one that she did that, that, that we so loved, and, and it was during the time when we were beginning the renovation next door, and uh, I believe, Gene, you're the one that gave it the title, Giving Back, Going Forward. 
Many of you bought copies of that, and it's wonderful. But somehow in the process of printing that, the printer used an ink that has bleached out with time. And Jean, in her keen eye, caught that. None of the rest of us did. And she's been about replacing that. During the coronavirus, you've been about replacing those that have, have bled out. Those things happen in this world. But Jesus says, I'm going to change the world because that was never to happen. And he's going to say, behold, I make all things new again. When you're in heaven, you're not going to have to vacuum or sweep or clean or dust or, or rake leaves or any. It's going to be new and it's going to stay new. Isn't that incredible? I mean, think about that. Think about a world where there's not going to be, well, dare I say to sell me and think about a world with no trash on the side of the roads. Uh, you literally, we, we, several years ago, Harold, remember when we cleaned up down Old Marion Junction Road? And I'll never forget, we got to the end down there, and Harold was running his four-wheeler hauling, what, 20 or 30 bags of trash back and forth we piled up out there. And we were coming back with someone, and Kitty Cosby almost jumped off of our four-wheeler because somebody threw out their McDonald's sack on the road. I mean, our, our beautiful work was destroyed that quickly. A world will be one day that will not have anything like that. It'll be new, and it'll remain that way. That's the world that Jesus imagined that the disciples didn't understand. He wasn't going after taking over the Roman Empire because that would have left out four-fifths of the world. He wanted to change the world the way it was to be originally before sin came in. He wanted to go back to his father's design from the beginning. And we forget that. Preventing the death of Jesus would have been Satan's greatest victory. And he was enticing Simon Peter to be a part of that. What greater insult could there be than that? But the third takeaway is this. We have to choose to die to our, di our desires and our dreams and our wants and allow Christ to lead because we have no idea what we want in this life. Joshua 24, 15 says, And if I seem evil unto you to serve the if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me in my house, the prophet said, we will serve the Lord. Part of that service requires that you put away your dreams and desires, that you begin to focus on what He wants for you, not what you desire within the love of Christ. The reality is you don't just give your soul to Him when you surrender. You give your future to Him and you trust Him. We are not a consultant to our Lord. We are to be servants to Him. The lesson for us today is that Jesus, in addition to the rebuke, exposes the cause of the failure of the disciples. In verse 33, He said, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We've got to somehow lift up our eyes 
from human ways. You know, the Greek word for mind that's used here means to have a mental disposition for. We can call it like-minded. But here's what we have to do. We can't, we can't let our mind be his thoughts. We are told to let that mind be in you that is in Christ. His mind is to guide us. We're to be conformed to that and to that alone. And because of that, we can be changed. One of my favorite people to study and, and to read about is Charlemagne. Um, Wayne May's not here today, but he claims that his bloodline goes back to Charlemagne. And some of you, some of you also do. But Charlemagne was an incredible person. His mother had a dream and told him that in that dream, God had spoken to her and given her direction. And Charlemagne, as a young Christian and as a submissive son, listened to his mother. And the world was changed because of that. In 1000 AD, 186 years after the death of Emperor Charlemagne, officials of the Emperor Otto at that time, opened Charlemagne's tomb. I never could figure out why they did that. I think they were just curious to see what was in there because no one in his leadership council was around at that time. When they opened his tomb, it was extraordinary. He was sitting on a throne that was solid gold. He was surrounded by some of the most beautiful jewels that had ever been owned. It was a priceless treasure, and, and on that throne was a skeleton of Charlemagne still in some of his armor. But strangely enough, there was a Bible opened on a table beside his throne, and his skeletal finger was pointing down at a passage of Scripture. You know what it was? It was Mark 8:36. For what does it profit a man? If he should gain the whole world, yet lose his own soul. Charlemagne sent that message back to the world 186 years after he died. And that lesson was told to children for generations after that. Be careful what you set your affections upon. You know, in ancient Rome, if you were going about your business... And suddenly a garrison of soldiers came along and in the midst of them was a man that had been beaten and was stripped and was carrying a cross. And that man, man went over the hill. You knew he wasn't coming back. He was going to die. You knew what the outcome would be. Yet Jesus says to us in this passage that we are to take up our own cross and follow him. What did he mean by that? I think he meant that we are to set our trajectory as Christ guides us through his Holy Spirit. And we're to prepare to die. When you go somewhere to prepare to die, you, you, you take care of everything behind you. You write out your will. You make sure everything will be cared for and you go away to die. Much the way soldiers did many years ago in battle. Yet we're, we go out into a world that is hurting and helpless and is hell-bound. And do we set our sight on Christ to change them forever? 
No, we've sanitized that. We, we don't want to take that kind of sacrifice. We don't want to get into anything that's uncomfortable. Yet Jesus took on the robes of discomfort for 33 years as an example to us. Jesus left the most beautiful celestial place ever, the throne room of God, to come down to this nasty world. To lay, to place himself in a manger and to lay there among commoners. Because he wanted to reach us. His love for us was remarkable. How much do we love him? Friend, I want everybody here to go to heaven, but even more than that, I don't want you to miss the mark of what God has for you to do. It is just too important. People out there who are lost and they're going to die and go to a very real hell if you don't do what God has called you to do. I ask you to pray about it and to seek His direction. It's not just enough to be a good person. I want you to be God's person. It's not just enough to lead, lead a clean life. I want you lead, to lead a sacrificial life that gives Every measure that you have to Him. I pray that you'll be that person today, even today, and that you will not miss the mark. Let us pray. Holy Father, I thank You so much that Your Son came to die for us. But I also thank You that He came to speak to us words that are plain and simple but words that haunt us. And when he tells us that we can be the tool of the devil just as Simon Peter, that is terrifying. And as frightening as that, that, the reality that we can also live our lives and never fulfill his will. We can be selfish and not sacrificial. God, speak to someone today that's seeking your will. They desire to be obedient to you. They want to follow you, Lord. And may they begin by the first steps they take during this invitation. If you call them to serve you, and you need to come, they need to come to this altar and, and make sure that they understand that so that others would pray for them and would guide them. Lord, I thank you that you've spoken to many thousands of people in this church over 178 plus years. And I thank you that many great things have happened when people were obedient. Ministers and missionaries and lay preachers and folks that have touched the four corners of this world have answered the call to pick up their cross here. And I pray that today someone would. Lord, if there's a need for someone to come forward and to make a profession of faith or to come forward and join this church, may today be the day that they make that decision. Lord, speak to them. And I pray that they will respond appropriately, even now. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.